Okay, Be'ez HaShem, we're going to start Mishnah Aleph of Perik Base. Perik Base, a brand new Perik Masechtus Ovas, very, very exciting. And there is so much direction being given over here. Tremendous amount of direction, especially when you open up the first Mishnah, like, whoa! Just like hits you in the face, there is just so much going on over here. So let's try to break it up into as many pieces as we can, um, because there is a tremendous amount going over here. So the Mishnah goes like this. Rebbe Oimeh. Rebbe Oimeh. Ezehi derech yishara sheyovaloy Adam. What is the correct path, the straight path, that a person should choose for himself? We see there's a tremendous yisoyed in this Mishnah. Kol shehi tiferes lo'oiseho. Again, we're going to roughly translate it, but obviously give it a bit more detail. Anything that is good for him, and gives him covered from everyone else. They have a color Be careful from a light mitzvah, like a heavyweight mitzvah. Because you don't know the value of a mitzvah. They have a mitzvah And you should calculate the hefsed of a mitzvah against the schar. Look at three things. You'll never come to doing an Avera. What's above you? Everything's written down. Look at those three things. You'll never do Averas. Okay, so let's try to get through them one by one. There is a tremendous amount going on over here. And I don't think we're going to have, you know, too much time to go through absolutely everything. But uh, try to get through the main points. First of all, we cannot start the Mishnah without describing Rebbe. Right? The Mishnah starts with Rebbe. Rebbe, obviously, we mean is Rebbe Huda Nasi, who was the seventh generation from Hillel Azokin. Right? Hillel, Shimon, Gavriel, um um, Gamliel Azokin, then it was Shimon, then it was Gamliel, then it was Shimon and Rabbi Yudah Nasi. So it's interesting, why is he called Rabbeinu HaKadosh? Rabbi is called Rabbeinu HaKadosh. The answer is, the Gemara tells us in Shabbos, Kufiyot Chesamad base that they asked Rabbi, why were you Zoycha to be called Rabbeinu HaKadosh? That's a tremendous title to be, to get. And Rabbi answered, an incredible answer. Again, the Gemara tells us this, Shabbos, Kufiyot Chesamad base Miyomai, I never in my lifetime looked at my erva. Number one. And number two. I never put my hand under my belt. Could you imagine? This is why it's called Rabbeinu HaKadosh. Holy. Because number one, he never looked at his erva. And number two, he never put his hand lower than his belt area. It's a tremendous, tremendous thing. Rebbe was from, uh, came from Dovid HaMelech. And as we know, he was Machabed Mishnayas, which we'll get to in a moment. From Moshe Rabbeinu, tells us the Gemara in Gitin Dafnun Tesem Aleph. From Moshe Rabbeinu until Rabbeinu, um, to Rabbeinu HaKadosh, there was never anyone that we found Torah and Gedula B'Moka Mechot. It was Moshe Rabbeinu and Rabbeinu HaKadosh. Those are the two people in Klal Yisrael that we found Torah in Gedula B'Mokoim Echot. I mentioned to you something else as well, which is also important, because again, we have to understand this, but Lani Mishnayis, right? 
we're, we're about to read about the author of all Mishnayis. It's like Lahavdil Elef Alfei Million Afdolis, right? If you've got an incredible book, and I don't, I don't want to give examples, but if you've got an incredible book, and, and it was an incredible life changer, sold millions of copies, and now they come out with a, a biography about the person who wrote the book, it, it's, a, it's a given you're going to want to read it, because this is the man behind it. Rabbi said, we learn Mishnayis. All our Gemurahs come from Mishnayis. All our Rambams, all our Rishonim, all our Halachas, every Mishnabura, every Rabbi everything comes from Mishnayis. It's right here, Rabbi say. It's the beginning of Torah Shabbat And Rebbe was basically Misadarit. So, this is basically, was very interesting. The Gemurah in the Dorim, Memaluf, tells us that Rebbe Yehuda Nasi was, was an, an incredible, incredible memory. Incredible memory. Just incredible memory. And what he basically did was, is that Rabbi Danossi gathered all the biggest Tamidei Chachamim, all the Gedolim of the generation, in his home. And his home was Beis Sha'arim, which was southwest Lower Gali. That's where he lived. And he took all the Gedolim Hadar at the time. And what he, what he asked from every Godel is to transmit their knowledge of Torah Shabal Because uh, until that time, Torah Shabal was not written. Nobody knew what it was all given from Rebbe to Talmud to Rebbe to Talmud and Fuchole Vuchole, as we've learned in the Mishnayis, where he's talking about the very first mission of Perikalaf. So all of a sudden, Rabbi Yudanossi took all the biggest Gedolim, he put them together, and he said, give me everything you know. And from there sprouted Shishi Sidri Mishnah, and uh, that was his memory was incredible. And the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Lamed Beis, Ahmed Beis tells us that he had a special Siyat Deshmaya because of who he was, that his... His, you know, compiling this was accepted in all of Klali's role for all generations as the Makar for Torah Shabal Peh. So you can imagine. It was tremendous. Chazal tell us, Chazal tell us the very last moments of Rabbi Huda Anasi's life, right before he passed away, Rabbi called for all of his sons to enter the room and he told them, among other things, to continue to set the lamp, the table and the bed in the same place. Why? Because after he died, he came home every Friday night to spend Shabbos with his family. Right? In fact, Rabbi Kiva Ega, on the Gemara, Rabbi Kiva Ega adds that he actually, uh, when he arrived, he arrived in his best Shabbos clothing, and he made Kiddush. Right? Because, and the reason for this, because unlike regular people, once they died, have no more connection to mitzvahs, the tzaddikim remain alive, so they can continue to do mitzvahs in this world. Now the Gemara tells us that, you know, one time the neighbor found him and therefore he stopped coming because he didn't want to be Moitzilaz and all the previous Sadiqim that did not show up. So like, oh, they're not as great as him. So, unbelievable, unbelievable. So, um, let's start. So now we ha- I- I have an understanding who Rebbe was, who's the author of this Mishnah and all the Mishnayas. Let's, uh, let's go, let's delve a little bit into what he says. It's just tremendous. So the first thing I want to mention over here, um, the first thing I want to mention is something interesting, and that is if we look at the words, and of course it's a mission we can medayik in every word, and we should be medayik in every word. It doesn't say what is the proper path, it says which one, meaning there's many paths, which one should I choose? Right? So what, what does that mean? In other words, what is telling us a Gavaldig Yisait, a certain life, which we all have to absorb and digest, there are many paths in life. And each of us have our path. 
There's no such thing as one size fits all. We all have different paths in life. We're not jealous of somebody else's path. We shouldn't look at somebody else's path. We shouldn't want somebody else's path. We have our own path. And that's what the mission is telling us. The very first thing. Ezehi. Which one of the paths should I choose? The answer is what one fits you, which we'll get to. But we have to understand there's no two ways. Everyone has his mahalach. We can never be jealous of someone else. We can never be upset with someone else's mahalach, whatever it is. It is what it is. But let's move on to uh, the obvious of Nosson that says pshat like this in the Baruch Sha'ama that the, 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 uh, the, the, the Gemara Yushalmi brings down that the Torah is compared to two paths, one of fire and one of ice. As Eish Teiti Yushalmi brings down, that the two paths in the Torah, one is Eish and one is Kerach, one is ice. If a person is too close to the fire, you're going to be burnt. If you're too close to the ice, you're going to freeze. Therefore, what do, we, what do we want? What do we what, what do we want a person to do? Says the Yushalmin Chagiga Perik Base, which is also an Ovestrub Nosson Perik Chof Tes, brought down in the Baruch Shaoma. A person should always choose the middle path. And that's what's a very, very important thing that a person should realize, to always choose the middle path. And in fact, the Rambam, right in the beginning of Hilchas Deus, anyone that learns the Rambam, Hilchas Deus, Perik Aleph, you get to this Rambam, what the Rambam says in Hilchas Deus, and he also says it in Shmoyne Prokim in Perik Dalet. What is the path that a person should go with? The middle path. The between midas, and he says, "Yeah, people that are too angry, you have to, people that are too, you know, too um, uh, even to stalker." He brings down, right? Even though a person has to know the middle way. A person has to shouldn't be too much of an extreme on one direction or on the other direction. It should always be a middle path, right? For those of you that remember when we learned Orchat Sadikim, I think we mentioned this over there that the Hagdoma to the Orchat Sadikim says this when it comes to midas, it's like salt and pepper. What's the beautiful marshal? What's the marshal? The marshal is every food requires salt and pepper. You put too little, tasteless. You put too much, too salty. You need the middle way. And that is how we should uh, look at our midas. That sometimes we need this midah. You know, for example, stubbornness. Right? Amkeshe oirifu. Klal is considered a stubborn, a stubborn nation. It could be gewaldic to be stubborn. To be stubborn is sometimes, is sometimes required. To be stubborn is gewaldic. I'm stubborn in my mitzvahs. Yes, I'm going to put on tefillin in the airport, even if people are embarrassed. I'm stubborn. I'm going to do the mitzvah. Yes, I'm going to wash my machoinim. Yes, I'm going to walk up if someone starts talking Russian horror. Because I'm stubborn. But don't be stubborn in marriage. Don't be stubborn in raising your kids. Don't be stubborn in all sorts of other relationships that you have. You've got to choose the middle path. It's very, very important. But it, what's interesting over here is what the Mishnah says. And this is how a lot of that Choinim explain in the Mishnah. And that is, what path should you choose? What does the Mishnah say? The Mishnah says, Kolshi Tiferes Lo Right? It's, it's, uh, it's very good. It's esteemed for you. And, Vitiferes Lo Adam. Very interesting. Right? Very, very interesting. Why is it that a person should try to choose a path that people will give you recognition for. And people will praise you. That, that, that's the path I should choose. What does that mean? What does that mean? You can answer posh shut. It doesn't mean that you want people to praise you. It means that if people are praising you, it means you're on the right path. That's posh shut, pashtas. 
But you could say further than that. That the kavon of the Mishnah is, is not that you're looking for praise, right? And everyone says, wow, that's kavaldic. No. But if you act in a manner that causes people to respect the principles from which you act, that's what you're looking for. That's what you're looking for. In other words, it's not enough for a person to act in a way that you consider proper for yourself as an individual. But you have to realize that you have the capacity to promote Kiddush Hashem or Chas Shalom, obviously a Chilad Hashem. And that's what the Mishnah is telling us. Not to praise you as a personal person, but to praise what you do and for what you stand for. And that is what you're looking for in being praised over here. And <clears throat> that's a very, very uh, important idea of exactly what you're looking for. That's Pshat number one. Uh, in the first part of the Mishnah. Right? Obviously, we've got to get moving on over here. The next part of the Mishnah I want to discuss is this part over here. Uh, right? Um, and I think the answer is, in other words, you've got to be careful of a light mitzvah than a, weight, a heavyweight mitzvah. Now, we don't really understand what is a heavyweight mitzvah and what's a little mitzvah. We don't really understand. I'll tell you one thing, Mordi Gazach. Uh, the Imre Yemes, the Imre Yemes, the, the, the Gay Rebbe, the Imre Yemes wrote a letter to his brother-in-law. It's brought down a Mikhtavei Torah, Sadi Ches. Anyway, see, he brings down there, listen, beautiful idea. He says, if someone were to offer you a million dollars on condition that you don't put on tefillin one day. Would you listen to him? Not in a million years. Not in a million years. How much simcha would you get right now if you won a million dollars? Tremendous. Now put it together. Now experience the exact same joy when you put on tefillin. Because the value of the mitzvah you do is linked to the degree, to the degree that you love doing it. And therefore... That's what's going on. Think about the mitzvahs you get. And that's what the Mishnah is telling us of here. We don't know what's big, what's small. What we think is a lightweight mitzvah is really a heavy mitzvah. Why is it that we have to be careful? Because when you've got a worker, and this worker does even the little details, that shows he's an even better worker. You can have two workers, and both of them work nine to five, and they both do great. One of them is much more tuned to the details. Maybe he'll stay a little bit later sometimes. Maybe he'll just do things that are not even required of him, or maybe even they are required of him, but he'll do them in every detail. When you show the Rabbi Nishram, you don't just keep the big ones, the heavyweight ones, the ones that the schar are written down, those are the big ones. But we'll even be careful in the small, minute mitzvahs, whether it's, I don't know, not that I can say what's considered yes and no, but, you know, just to give examples on a practical level, tying our shoelaces, left, right, right, left, whatever it is, uh, probably isn't the heavyweight mitzvah. Maybe I'm wrong, we'll get to Shemaim, I'll be wrong, maybe that's the heavyweight one. But even the details, it shows, it shows our dedication to the Rabbi Nishlonim. It shows our dedication when we do even the small things, which is very, very important. I'll tell you, Merodika Maisa, let me just see just a second. I don't want to, um, I don't want to, you know, forget anything of it. Rashi, for example, on the Mishnah brings a pshat. Rashi on the Mishnah brings down like this. He brings a marshal. He says to a king that tells his uh, officers to go and work in the orchard, to go and work in the in the um, in the garden area, you know, to be busy and do all the trees and everything else like that. Now he happens to have um, a vine, a grapevine, which is worth a lot of money. 
He didn't tell them to be busy. They told him to be busy the trees. If he would have told them, they would have done it because they want to be marben escha. But he just said them stam because he wanted them to be ready for everything. He didn't want to specify things. Says Rashi, the Rabbanu as well, didn't tell us what's big, what's small, because he wants us to have an overall picture and make sure that we try and do everything together. Tell your Mordecai Maisa, Rabbi Sai. Rabbi Tversky brings this Beshem, his father. He says, you know, his father told him about a young man in Kiev, very ambitious fellow. Now, he knew that uh, in anti-Semitic times of the Tsar in Russia, he could never really do much in business. So what he did was, he denied being a Yid. He denied being a Yid. He avoided anything that could betray his identity. Basically made out he was a Goy because that was the only way to live in a successful way. One day, he heard that an unidentified body had been pulled from the river. The victim had been found wearing a tallis cotton. Now, obviously, he was Jewish, right? Therefore, they gave him over to the Jewish community to bury him. The assimilated man reasoned that although it was necessary for him to conceal being Jewish in order to involve himself in a business way, he didn't want to be separated from his people forever, and therefore, if, um, if he basically um, wanted to be buried with all the Jews, he started wearing a tallis cotton. Right? He started wearing a tallis cotton. It was under his shirt, no one saw. And this way, at least he knew when he died, he would have a Jewish burial. But what you should know is, shortly after he started wearing the tallis cotton, he started avoiding eating treif. He started fasting on Yom Kippur. He would try it any way to avoid you know, working on Shabbos without doing anything. To cut a long story short, he became a fully fledged Balshuva. Why? Because he wore a, uh, wore a talus cotton. Small mitzvah, which looks not even important, but at the end of the day, it obviously has a lot of hashivas to it. And that's a very, very important idea that we have to remember when understanding this Mishnah is we don't value what's big, what's small, we don't understand. And the last thing is a stakal b'shloish advarim. Look at three things. Ve'ena tobole de'avera. Da'la ma'la mimcha, ayin roya, ve'ozen shemas, ve'chumasecha b'sefer nechtovim. Everything is going to be written down. I'll tell you that uh, there's two different pshatim over here in the Rishonim, the Me'iri, that the three things you should think of, number one, know what's above you, the Rabbi the existence of the Rabbi Number two, the eye that sees and the ear that hears. And number three, is everything's written in a book. That's how the Me'iri learns pshat. The Rabbi Yoina has a different pshat. He says it's the eye that sees everything you do. It's the ear that hears everything you say. And all your actions are written in the book and everything is recorded. Right now, the Chavetz Chaim brings this down. And he was talking about not our generation, but his generation, where in the, 20th, in the first half of the 20th century, it was a big Chiddush that had a telescope. In a telescope, you could see things from far away. And the Chavetz Chaim brought this to show that if we could see with a telescope things that are far away, the Rabbi Shalom is recording every single thing we say, every single thing that we do, and we have to understand and realize that everything is recorded. And when a person thinks that way, when a person internalizes that, it helps him with everything you do, helps him with all the actions that he has. I'll just tell you one more, the of a Yid in Germany, who was a German Jew, a Yekka. And he used to go to biz- uh, um, um, like uh, shows for businesses and everything else. And the business that he did was was quite a dodgy one in the in the inyanim of Znus, like he was dealing in merchandise that you know required a lot of inyanim of Erva and Arias and all sorts of things and someone said to him you know you're such a Chosh and you've kept up everything 
of all of your beliefs and everything. How do you do it? In, in, in a world with Goyim, in the business that you're doing, how do you do it? He said, I'll tell you, every night before I go to sleep, I make a cheshben anepesh. I think to myself, okay, what did I do? Did I do things correctly? Did I do things wrong? Where am I holding? Mitzvahs, Averis, did I do something wrong? Maybe I have to do tshuva. He made a cheshben anepesh. He said, that kept me on the straight and narrow. When we constantly realize and we understand and we recognize who's running the world, the Rebunshim sees everything. You know, nowadays we have, we're in a generation where we can send pictures within seconds to millions of people. Right? Millions of people. So the Rebunshim can record and knows everything that we're doing. And I think that's a Kavaldigach, is it? That's what the Mishnah is telling us over here. First Mishnah, Perik Base. Rabbi Rabbi Yudha Anasi Beis Hashem. Tomorrow, we'll continue.